eyes. Well, youth, you're dismissed. Great class. Adults, stay put. <laughs> Some of you are like, I wasn't moving. And open your Bibles with me to the book of... That wasn't very exciting. <laughs> to the book of John, right? All right, John. All right. Chapter 17. John chapter 17. I want to look today. Last week we looked at um, a few and we looked at John the Baptist being the voice for the voice, Jesus, who Jesus uses his voice to talk with us and reminds us that my sheep hear my voice and they don't hear the voice of a stranger, right? We listen to the voice of the Lord. Well, the voice is still speaking and I wanted to look at that today and I was reading through John 17 and though this is not really a series, it's kind of a series in John as we're pulling things out. I want to look at when Jesus prayed in the garden before he was arrested. What would you pray about knowing that in just a few hours you were going to be arrested and executed? What would you be saying or doing? I want to look at that uh, today. So Father, we stop today and we thank you for your word that speaks truth to our hearts. Lord, let us listen today as Jesus speaks and how he prays and how he connects with his Father and how he has a heart for his disciples, but how he has a heart for me and prays for me and continues today to be praying for me. Let us be blessed listening that in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is praying for you right now. Right? He's praying for you right now. Oh, a couple months ago, Michelle and I um, were in this marketplace area, and they were sampling olive oil. And it was all these different flavored olive oils. There must have been 20 different kinds and so all around the olive oils, they had little uh, pieces of sourdough bread and toothpicks. And you'd stick it in, you'd try the plain oil, but everything was different flavored. And I remember one being like a blackberry oil. And it sounded so weird, but I, I stuck it in the oil and I tasted it. And it tasted so good. And I said, what do you do with like blackberry olive oil? She says, well, you put it on desserts. Well, that didn't sound, I, I can't imagine having a hot brownie that you put on uh, olive oil. They had, they had a spicy, spicy olive oil. And uh, so I finally asked the question. They were all so good, right? Every one of them was amazing and good. And I asked the question, like probably you would too, well, how much are they? And then I got about a five-minute introduction that I didn't really need to know about olive oil. And after the long introduction, you know how it was, was the price of them which they were wanting to sell in a four-pack, and it was over $100, I think, for olive oil. But it came from a specific olive. Well, I didn't buy any that day, uh, but I sure tasted a lot of them. Well, we're going to see today when Jesus prays, what I want us to get a picture is, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place where they would actually pick the olives to make the oil. And, you know, as we look and we learn a little bit about olive oil, the reason you get the oil out of the olives 
is because the olive is pressed and crushed and mixed and pressed again. And after all of that pressing and pressing comes out this oil that's very valuable, very flavorful, uh, very expensive in different places. So in the place that olives are crushed and in the place where Jesus is feeling this agony, he prays for you. He prays for you. And he prays for you again. And I thought about that. What would I be praying about on my final night? I would be probably thinking of my family. Or, Lord, let this suffering happen so quick that I don't feel it at all. But that's not how he prayed. So let's look at first how he prays in just cha uh, chapter 17, verse 1 through 5. The first part of his prayer, as he, we could say this, that Jesus prays for himself, but listen to what he prays for himself. Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, I thought that was interesting, before the world was. Well, Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man, the curse of the earth. I believe he's referring back to the way things were before. We're going to restore things back to the way they were before with you. In fact, Proverbs 8.30 lets us know that wisdom, or that wisdom being Jesus, was beside the Father as the master craftsman in creation. Right? Uh, and let me read verse 5 again. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Notice what Jesus prays in here. He's not saying, I just want you to know that for 33 years, I was amazing. Right, God? Just so you know, I was amazing. I didn't stumble. I didn't fall. I didn't choke Peter out on the multiple times that I could have. Uh, I tried to take time by myself, and these crowds followed me. I was trying to get some rest. He doesn't say any of that, does he? He stops, and I love that part. He lifts up his eyes, and he's doing everything to glorify his father. He's going to finish that one part of his race. That's his heart coming out. So that we're all connected. You're in this with me. You sent me to do this work. And I'm finishing this work. And I love what he ends with. He says, and now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory I had with you before the world was. Right? That connection that he had. Well, hold your place there. And I just want to throw up a, a few things here on the screen. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane the night that he's arrested. 
But Matthew, Mark, and Luke only allude to a little bit of what Jesus prayed. John alludes to more, and that wasn't because he was awake and listening, because he's asleep, right? We get it from John because the Holy Spirit said it in there. And so Matthew 26, 39, and it says these words. It says, he went a little further, fell on his face, and prayed, saying. Well, that'll make more sense here in just a minute, because in Luke 22, 43 and 44, it says these words, that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. The word in agony is the Greek word for being in a in conflict or a contest. And so what, what is happening with Jesus as he goes in Matthew records that he falls on his face and he prays. Luke records that he's in this agony. In fact, an angel comes to strengthen him. You know, we read that uh, when Jesus was in the wilderness after 40 days. The tra- one, of the tra- one of the books says, and the angels came and they strengthened him. There was that one part. Well, the three, right, uh, Peter, James, and John, that were supposed to watch and pray with him, they're sound asleep, right? If you read your Bibles, he wakes them up not one time, not two times. He wakes them up three times. Doesn't that remind you of your kids before school? Get up, right? Get up, right? Get up. These guys, I don't know if they ate too much at the Passover meal or if it was in the middle of the night. They didn't stay up and pray with Jesus. They fell asleep. So the Lord evidently sent an angel that appeared and strengthened him. You know, we don't read that he fed Jesus anything. But you know what? I thought of this. Uh, and many of you have done this before. Sometimes even visiting somebody in a hospital and not saying much at all. And sometimes you think, I didn't really even say anything. And then later you hear these words, thank you, that really strengthened me. And then you think, I didn't say anything. You know, attending a, um, a funeral or a memorial or, or something, uh, a graduation or, you know, just attending something with your presence. Many times people will say, thank you for coming. That, that really meant a lot to me. It brought strength to them knowing that you were just there. You were present. You were available. I think that's probably what we see. This was a strength to Jesus And being in agony in this contest, this conflict, sweat became like drops of blood. You know, that is an actual, uh, in fact, I won't even say the word because I know I won't even say it right, and I'll get corrected by somebody after service, but uh, it's where the blood vessels rupture around the sweat gland, and what comes out is actual blood. It is so rare of an occurrence. In fact, if you look it up, most cases where this is actually seen is in people that are waiting execution. Well, Jesus knows all things. He knows that even praying right now, Judas has rallied up. In fact, the Bible goes on in its troops, its officers, it's the chief priests. 
Uh, in fact, the word that's used there is a garrison, which many times is known for, you know, multiple, multiple troops and men coming. It mentions clubs. It mentions weapons. All of this is coming to take Jesus. And I love those words that he says later. He says, I was with you in the temple every day. You could have taken me then, but you didn't. But you come with all of this, right? So he knows what's coming. And yet the ones that should be awake with him, they're sound asleep. But the Lord sends an angel to strengthen him. You know, I, I believe uh, David captures this for us in Psalm 69, verse 20. Listen to, to these words. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked around for someone to take pity, and there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. I really believe that's David prophetically writing about what Jesus was actually feeling, but an angel can't, comes to strengthen him during this time uh, of prayer. Hebrews 5, 7 says this, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered uh, prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Remember, Jesus prayed that one prayer. And he said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. But if you read the passage, he quickly changes. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will. In fact, that's what we read early in that prayer. It's not me. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for the ones that are asleep, that won't watch and pray. I'm doing this for the one that's coming right now with a weapon and a club. I'm doing it for the one that will kiss me on the cheek so they'll know who to arrest. I'm doing it for the crowd that yelled they'd rather have the robber released than me. I'm doing it for them. I'm going to empty myself out for them. So he's not, he doesn't continue to pray that the cup would pass. He prays for the power to finish the work. He prays for his disciples that they would take that message and be strong and not fall. And then he prays for those who would believe. That's us. He prays for those who would believe. And I notice this. Prayer truly reveals the heart of somebody. If you listen to how people pray, you understand the heart of that person. So let's look again. Let's look back then at Jesus. And let's look at verse 6. Let's look at a few of these verses. As he prays for these disciples, the ones asleep and the ones that aren't there and the one uh, that is coming uh, to have him arrested, he says this, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all these things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and they have known surely that I have come forth from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. Look at verse 9. 
I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Notice who he's praying for. He's praying for these 11. Well, and we'll throw Judas in there. He's praying for them. You know, if I read on in a couple chapters later, uh, the ones that should have believed weren't at the tomb early the morning that he was risen. It was Mary Magdalene. Uh, she had to go give word to the ones to believe, and yet, if you read in John as we were reading, the minute he saw them for the first time, he showed them his hands, and he showed them his side. And the Bible says that they rejoiced. Thomas, one of the ones he was praying for right here, Thomas said, unless I stick my finger in the hole of his hands and stick my hand in the hole of his side, I will not believe. Jesus prayed for Thomas, right? Jesus, I think, is praying, and people I think of come to mind, a guy named Saul, that in the book of Acts is going to be the tormentor of the early church. He wakes up every morning, his feet hit the carpet or the ground, and he can't wait to drag a Christian to prison to disrupt their family and to disrupt the church. I pray for them that are going to take your message, Lord, out and about. Now, he's sweating blood. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be beaten and whipped and crucified and take the weight of all of the sin, sickness, disease, of the world, past, present, and future, and he's not praying for himself, he's praying for those that are right in front of him that are sound asleep. Right? Wake up. All right, we're awake, we're awake. Wake up. Isn't that sad? They fall asleep three times. Wouldn't that change your prayer? God, just strike them all dead, right? I'll die on the cross, we'll just start over. I'll raise from there. We'll start over. These guys can't even stay awake. Can't even stay awake. No, here's what he said. I pray for them. I pray for them. Verse 15, it says this. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. Peter's sound asleep. And yet... We know in just a short period of time he's going to preach a sermon that 3,000 people are going to come to know the name of Jesus for the very first time. Yet he's sound asleep and Jesus says, I'm praying for them. Here's a good thing. The next time you're completely frustrated with somebody, here's what you have to do. You have to pray for them. Right? Next time you're completely frustrated, you stop and pray for them. And see how long the frustration lasts. It may last a little bit. Lord, you know, that oh, melts your heart, right? That's Jesus' heart. Even though they're sound asleep, and God's got to send and dispatch an angel from heaven just to be with me, the guys that should be with me, that I've poured my life into, they could care less. They're sound asleep. He is in deep agony and contest, contesting what was about to take place. But Jesus stops and he prays for us. Let's look at those scriptures here. This is verse 20. In fact, I would encourage you in your Bibles, and I wrote this in mine. I put, Walter, Jesus is praying for you. Oh, that's powerful. 
It's powerful in your day for somebody to send you a text just to say, Michelle, I'm praying for you. Brett, I'm praying for you. Somebody sends you something on a message. Somehow somebody sends you something just to say, you know, I just want you to know that I stopped today and I pray for you. What does that do to you? Oh, sometimes it's a, a word in due season because you know what you're facing. Right? So, sometimes it puts that smile on your face just to say, God, I know that, you're play, that this isn't me, that you're putting my situation on people's hearts. Well, look what Jesus says in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's me and you. We're going to believe in him through their word and witness of him. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory with which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You know, we read scriptures, greater love has done than this than when somebody lays down their life for their friends. I don't believe any of us have laid our lives completely down for friends. Many of us have laid down a lot of things. Jesus is saying, as, Lord, as you have sent me to them, show us in them that love, that commitment. You know, Jesus takes none of the credit for himself. He uses that word, us, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the book of Genesis, the word Elohim, it's the three, us. As you have loved them, may we be one in a... You know, his aim is that we would be one, unified in him. You know, if I threw this out, if I said, uh, name your favorite baseball team. All of you have a favorite baseball team. Some of you might say, what is baseball? <laughs> but everybody has a different opinion. Everybody has a different like. But in him, we can be one. Centralized around him. He can bring an entire world together to be in unity over him and who he is. Well, we go on and we read this in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. The love which, which you loved me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? He so loved what? The world that he gave Jesus to show 
his love. And Jesus ends that, as you have loved me, may be, uh, he says this, uh, and, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. In the midst of everything Jesus is going through, he's going to stop and he's going to pray for you. Not concerned about what he's about to face. Here's what he's concerned about. He's concerned about what you're going to face. He's concerned about the details of your life. He says he knows the hairs or lack of hairs on your head. He knows when you go to bed at night. He knows when you rise in the morning. And he loves you with an unconditional love that he's shown because he sent Jesus, who in deep agony isn't praying for himself. He's praying for you. Isn't that powerful? He's taking time. He's praying. The Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. He's praying to the Father on behalf of you. Praying and praying. That's the power that we see of his love. Well, I want to transition here just to, for a few minutes. And we're going to go into our time of communion. And I felt it, it uh, would be better here at the end. And I'll wait on our um, team to come up. And I want to read these scriptures to you before. You know, uh, we could read on. You know, one of the things they do to Jesus is they put on a crown of thorns on his head. Um, and if, if you've ever looked or, or anything about that, you, you can look up sizes. You know, you don't want to look at sizes. But the pain, uh, the excruciating pain that that put on top of his head, that wasn't the part of it. It wasn't necessarily the mocking. You know, they mocked him. And they said, who are you, king of the Jews? I want to read you this one verse here. This is Genesis chapter 3. This is uh, verse 17 and 18, and it says these words. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. Let me read that again. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. When God made the earth and the Garden of Eden, there was not a single thorn. Have you ever walked through the grass barefoot and stepped on a thorn and tried to pick that thing out, or, or you were in a, a rose bush or another type of bush, and it poked you and that thing hurt and it embedded in you? That wasn't part of how God made things. There was no thorns. There was nothing like that. Man tended the garden. Now because of the curse. All of a sudden, there's what we read. There's thorns and thistles that now make everything difficult. Right? They have to be removed or pulled out. They have to be dealt with. As we've seen weeds before, weeds will outgrow anything. But here we read those. Thorns were non-existent before the curse. Now due to the fall, they're plentiful. Nothing in the Bible is accidental. Isn't it amazing to think that though these soldiers wanted to make a crown to mock him, 
to make fun of him. Oh, king of the Jews. Oh, mighty king of the Jews. The Bible says they also put a robe on him, begin to mock him, spit on him, slap him around. That they just wouldn't use something else. That they used something that represented a curse to go on top of his head. And in that curse, he would take on himself for us. You know, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That curse, that sin, that sickness, that disease. Though they might have been making something up, nothing is intentional. Uh, uh, nothing is made up just in a story. It was intentional that he would take that curse upon his, himself for us. So if our ushers would come forward, and as we pass out uh, our communion today, we have open communion everybody can receive. In fact, we'll pray in a minute, but as the Apostle Paul says, we take a moment, we judge ourselves. He wore my crown of thorns. Curse didn't happen because of him. It happened because of me. But he took my crown. He took the crown on us. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. I think that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is that sting? Well, he took it upon his life. So, Father, as we stop today, we come to you. The Apostle Paul says, in a time leading to communion, to judge ourselves, lest we be judged. So, Lord, as we come before you, we say if we've looked upon anything, said anything, listened to anything, if our feet have led us astray, we thank you that we have 1 John 1, 9 that says these words, if I confess my sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, Lord, as we receive of communion today, that broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for our forgiveness. Lord, let us remember that that curse he took on himself for us. We bless you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As you pass the cracker and the juice, hang on to that for a minute. We'll come back and receive it together.
rejoice in the one who saves me. He is the Lord. I strengthen my bravery. I will rejoice. I know he'll never leave me. In the terror of the night, there's a light that saves me. This I rejoice always. Oh, all around, when all around is bare and wasteland, when all has failed. With you, when I've been found misplaced and broken, my song will still remain. I will rejoice in the one who saves me, He is the Lord, my strength and my bravery. that saves me in this I rejoice always stand with me if you would and if you would take your bread and break it you know many times I'll say the curse is broken over my life. I remember that this is an example of the broken body of Jesus. The agony that he went through, that crown of thorns, the stripes on his body. As Isaiah said, by his stripes we were healed. Let's receive of that healing today in our lives. When he took the cup, it was also to remind them of the shedding of his blood would be for the forgiveness of sins. But he drops in there of that new covenant. That him fulfilling the requirements of the Old Testament and bringing in his life and word and teaching that spoken word in front of them, that new covenant over their life, right? built on precious promises. So let's receive that today as we receive the cup. Steve's going to lead us in that chorus again. Would you take time, like we read early where Jesus started, in looking to him, that you would look and rejoice to your father today for his blessing and what he took on himself for you. Let's worship together. I will, and I will rejoice in the one who saves me. He is the Lord, my strength and my bravery. I will rejoice 
passage starting at verse 9 in John 17 it starts with I pray for them and then he goes through about how those men those disciples were given to him by the Lord they were the Lord's first but he recognized that they were given to him by the Lord first thing I want you to know And I'm saying this and I am certain that it's in the heart of this man as well. We recognize that you are given to us and to this church by the Lord. You are a gift. Your life is a gift and we recognize it. You are given to us by the Lord and we pray for you. But the Lord went on to say, Jesus went on to say four different times that the Father would keep them, keep them, keep these men that you have given me, keep these precious people that you've entrusted to my care. They have kept your word. They know your word. Keep them. I want to speak over you today that the Father keep you as the word is imparted and implanted in your heart, that he keep you from the evil one, that he guard you. In First Peter, the word wealth, the Greek for kept is this. It's a military term picturing a century standing guard as protection against the enemy. We, you, 
are in spiritual combat, but God's power and peace are your protectors. So I thank the Lord that he watches out over you and guards you and keeps you from the evil one. That he goes before you and makes every crooked path straight. That your foot does not stumble. That you are guarded not only on the right but the left and in front of you and behind you. And that you recognize every time that you walk, that you drive on this campus and you walk through these doors. That I don't just say every morning, I love your face, seeing your face, but that we treasure your life because you are a gift. Amen. Will you look at the person sitting on your right or left behind you, whatever, and tell them, I treasure you. You are a gift. Some of you are gifts that need continuous unwrapping. And I say that for myself. Walt has a gift that needs continuous unwrapping. <laughs> oh, has it been a good day in God's house? Amen. We have fellowship today after service over in Johnson Chapel. You do not want to miss it. Please go and sit with one another and enjoy your time together. If you need prayer, Please come up. We would love to pray with you. Pick up lunch sacks next door. God bless and have a great week.